The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio with host Jerry Prokopovich. Our program covers all aspects of Civil War history, from the battlefields to the home fronts, and features guest experts, plus insight from your host as they discuss the most critical period in American history. Now, here is your host, Jerry Prokopovich. Thank you and welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. Although it was the second most costly battle of the war after Gettysburg, the last significant Confederate battlefield victory, and the subject of the first Civil War battlefield park after the war, the Battle of Chickamauga in September 1863 has been the subject of only a few full-length studies. To make up for that, author David Powell has produced an ambitious new book on the topic, weighing in at almost 700 pages, and that's just volume one of a projected three-volume set. We'll find out what's in Chickamauga Volume 1, A Mad Irregular Battle, from the crossing of the Tennessee River through the second day, August 22nd to September 19, 1863, with author Dave Powell, tonight on Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America Interactive Radio Player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at ecu dot edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich coming to you this evening, Wednesday in March of 2015 from the Brewster Building, third floor, A-Wing, on the campus of East Carolina University, but not speaking for the university, not representing the university, not uh, doing anything for anyone but myself, although I am using the university's uh, computer to do this, but it's, well, 
now I'm in trouble. Uh, no, it's not for the university. It is a uh, project like any book or other uh, anything we produce here, uh, creative activity by the faculty. Uh, and we're responsible solely for its content. And likewise, our guest tonight will speak only for himself, I'm sure. Well, a week ago, we were talking about the war in Tennessee, and outside it was below freezing, and there was snow on the ground here in otherwise sunny North Carolina. And uh, today it was 75 degrees. It is just crazy. Uh, Wore a sweater to work and felt foolish. Not as foolish as the people wearing shorts and t-shirts, the students who did that a couple days ago when it was in the 20s, yet they seemed to think they're, they're, they're above that, they're, they're beyond that temperature. They look pretty cold. Uh, but we didn't call, check in tonight to talk about weather. We're here to talk about Civil War history on Civil War Talk Radio. You can find out what's coming up on future episodes of Civil War Talk Radio at www.impedimentsofwar.org or also the Facebook page, which actually gets probably more traffic. You can go to the Impediments of War page on Facebook and you can uh, get links to past shows there as well. You can find out who's been on, uh, who's going to be on. You can uh, like the page. That always uh, leaves me with a warm glow of electronic affection when somebody likes the page. I like the page, and I uh, am grateful to our webmaster, Mark Gaffney, who sets up the Facebook and internet uh, web presence of Civil War Talk Radio. As far as future shows, uh, for the time being, news is uh, slender only because we're just getting caught up with things. Next week, for example, we will not have a live show. It's spring break here at East Carolina University, which means a week of getting caught up on the many emails, 300 or so in the inbox, and the various tasks that need to be done as I enjoy my last semester of being department chair, at least for a while, and uh, looking forward extremely to being faced with pages and stacks full of Civil War documents instead of uh, human resources documents, which is what we have these days. After spring break, we'll be back with a whole series of interesting new shows. Uh, for example, Brian Jordan will be with us talking about veterans. Uh, John Fox talking about Stewart's ride around McClellan. We've got uh, Julianne Mahegan and David Mahegan have edited uh, the Confederate memoir of John Wesley Bone. We'll be talking with them. Uh, I think that's April 1st. And haven't invited him yet, so he doesn't know he's going to be on. But an old uh, friend from graduate school, Tom Brown, has written Civil War Canon, Sites of Confederate Memory in South Carolina. And I'm very much looking forward to getting Tom back on the show. He was on maybe back in the first or second year, a long time ago. So, uh, Tom, if you're listening, uh, I'll be getting in touch. If not, I'll be getting in touch anyway. So we'll go ahead and do that. Uh, your suggestions for other guests on the show are always welcome. Please feel free to send them to me here at the ECU email address. Uh, you can also put them up on the Facebook page or through the website. You can use the website to donate to the show, to send money with which I can buy books or office supplies or, uh, I don't know, any uh, little pirate flag to put on my car so 
have appropriate school spirit, anything I want. It's not a donation. It's not a charitable donation, I should say. It's, it's not something you can deduct on your taxes. It's just a gift to me because you like the show. And I do appreciate the many people who have uh, contributed over the years, and I really have spent a certain amount of it on books that we talk about here. Well, tonight we have a big book. I have to turn around in my chair and, and retrieve the book. There it is. <clears throat> the Chickamauga Campaign, subtitled A Mad Irregular Battle from the Crossing of the Tennessee River through the Second Day, August 22nd to September 19, 1863. The author is David A. Powell. He's the author of The Maps of Chickamauga, a volume we talked about a few years ago on the show. And now he is adding text to the maps uh, in in some detail. It, it's a book anyone listening to the show will want to read because it's safe to say uh, maybe Jim Ogden is the only other person in the world who knows as much about the Battle of Chickamauga as Dave Powell, uh, and he will share some of that with us tonight, I hope. Dave, are you there? I am. I am here. Thank you. Oh, thank you for joining me on the show. I apologize for internet stalking you all day uh, with uh, emails and messages through Consum World and elsewhere. Uh, but I gather you are, in fact, uh, on the road on the way to Chickamauga today. Is that correct? I am actually ensconced in a hotel room about, uh, I don't know, 1,500 yards, just short of a mile north of the Chickamauga battlefield in lovely Fort Oglethorpe, Georgia. Uh, I've spent the day uh, roaming around the the field, and I will be uh, leading some tours, uh, some uh, battlefield walks and a bus tour uh, uh, over the upcoming weekend on Friday and Saturday, so that's why I'm here. Well, that that's a, a definitely a great gig. I assume uh, this year's tour is, is already arranged, obviously. It's coming up this weekend, uh, but you've done this before, and I assume you'll be doing it again if some of our listeners want to get in on it next year. This is the, we think, the 13th annual tour. You mentioned Jim Ogden before. Jim Ogden is right. the park historian, and he's the man who helps me with these tours. He, we we co-lead them, basically. Uh, so uh, you get a, a full dose of Chickamauga when you attend one of these things. We do it uh, every year, um, usually the first or second weekend in March. Uh, I won't go into a lot of detail here, but folks can find out more about it uh, by uh, uh, searching for chickamaugablog.com, uh, and that eventually will take you to a page that shows uh, information on, on the tours and things. Well, I absolutely want our listeners to know about that. Never shy to promote a worthy Civil War cause, and uh, I hope uh, maybe next year when the schedule here is a little different, I'll be able to get time away from work and come down and join you. I, I would really uh, very much want to see the battlefield in detail. I think I've only been there once, and, and that's not enough time uh, to see it. It's a it's a, a big battlefield, is putting it mildly. Um, yes. It, it's, it's, it's very um, big. Uh, by some measures, it's the largest of the Civil War parks. Uh, of course, that includes uh, a great deal of land that's been added, added over the years uh, on Lookout Mountain and now uh, other parts of the Battle of Chattanooga as well. But the uh, the core battlefield at Chickamauga, just that focuses on the, the fighting on uh, September 1863, uh, the park is, is somewhere in the neighborhood of 5,800 acres. So uh, it's a large place. 
Well, it, it's uh, large and obviously worth seeing, and we've got a large uh, account of it here. The um, oh, so many different directions to go in. Mm-hmm. Let me start with a, a question from a listener. Uh, I solicited some questions earlier today, and uh, uh, he writes in, I've read Maps of Chickamauga and Failure in the Saddle, your book about uh, Forrest as a cavalry commander. I uh, said, I read those some years ago. Uh, has Dave's interpretation of the battle changed at all since the publication of those books? So let me start with that. If if, if I've read the maps of Chickamauga and, and these other earlier works, uh, has your thinking evolved on the battle? Um, I wouldn't say it's evolved. Uh, my thinking always evolves on the battle. Let me put it that way. Sure. Uh, uh, but that said... Uh, what this book brings to the table is a great deal more, um, uh, not only a, a great deal more material in terms of first-person accounts and, uh, uh, and soldier, sort of a soldier's eye view of the battle, but also a great deal more analysis. Uh, Failure in the Saddle contained a lot of analysis, uh, my opinion of, of who succeeded and who failed in the Chickamauga campaign, but it was focused very, very um, uh, tightly on the Confederate cavalry. Uh, I didn't uh, discuss, uh, uh, you know, or evaluate uh, in any way the Union side of the house, for instance. Um, in this book, uh, I, I, I sort of culminate uh, roughly 15 years worth of research, and, uh, and I'm not afraid to express my opinions. Um, I think that uh, uh, the analysis, uh, especially of, of the controversies, you know, any Civil War battle. If there's a battle, there's immediately several smaller battles that follow it in print. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and, and I try and, and uh, bring more of that story into the uh, into the process and let the reader experience some of that as well. So uh, there's a great deal more depth and breadth to uh, um, a mad irregular battle than there was in failure in the, or either failure in the saddle or maps of Chickamauga. Yeah, the uh the the subtitle you know says this covers from the crossing of the Tennessee River uh, through the second day and actually it it starts earlier because you, you you talk about the summer campaign of 1863 which I thought was very interesting uh, but the the battle itself of course goes on uh, through the 20th one of the big controversies is what happens uh, at the end of the battle uh, could you talk a bit about your your plan for the remaining two volumes of the series where where it goes and how it's structured. Certainly. This volume ends uh, at the, uh, essentially with the close of combat on September 19th. It's been the first day of, uh, first uh, day of infantry combat, I should say. There was uh, uh, some cavalry action on September 18th, which is why uh, the park and myself consider uh, September 19th to be the second day of the Battle of Chickamauga. But then volume two, uh, which is entitled or subtitled Glory in the Grave will be focused exclusively on September 20th, uh, starting with uh, sort of the pre-dawn Confederate and Union command conferences and actions at the the Army level, at the senior level, um, and then working our way through all of the detailed combat, uh, the back-and-forth fighting, perhaps the most uh, famous aspect of Chickamauga, the, the infamous uh, Confederate breakthrough in the Union lines, uh, a routing of uh, 
approximately a third of the Union Army that comes to fight on September 20th, uh, and closes with the close of action on the night of September 20th. So uh, it's uh, and it's about the same size as this book, man. Perhaps uh, a little longer. We'll have to see how the editing shakes out. We're in final edits on this, so until you put it all in in, in the page paging programs and figure out how many pages you have, it's you're never quite sure. Uh, and then volume three uh, is is interesting uh, for me because it's an opportunity uh, given to me by the publisher and that I think is pretty rare in in publishing. It gives me a chance to, first of all, finish the battle. We start um, at dawn on September 21st, uh, talk about a little bit about uh, the uh, what happens on September 21st, 22nd, 23rd, uh, uh, sort of the aftermath of the battle. And then it it allows me to explore in appendices and uh, uh, sidebars and things both some of the uh, some of the controversies I alluded to earlier, and also some of the things that don't necessarily get touched on uh, in Civil War historiography. Though that's that's changing, that's expanding. Things like um, what happened to the wounded, what happened to the aftermath. Uh, uh, what happened to the civilians who lived there, uh, 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 so on and so forth, uh, and and so and also it will include the essentially the the sum up of my research both into numbers and losses, which is very detailed, and uh, also a fairly a, a fairly large bibliography. I've been trying to collect as much material as I can on what's available for Chickamauga. And frankly, the amount of information, unpublished memoirs, published memoirs, letters, diaries, um, National Tribune articles, the amount is just staggering. And uh, akin to what uh, uh, Dr. Richard Sowers did once with uh, Gettysburg, um, you know, accumulating all of the sources he could, I I wanted to give... uh, future students or, or, or interested parties in the battle uh, a chance to look at some of that stuff and see what's out there in various repositories and libraries and things. Well, that looks like uh, well planned out and, and sounds like volume two is well uh, well underway, if not uh, approaching final stages. So this is not just uh, vaporware. This is really going to happen and uh, something Absolutely. we can all look forward to. We're going to take a short break now. We'll come back. We're talking with David A. Powell. He's the author of The Chickamauga Campaign. Uh, volume 1 is now out, A Mad Irregular Battle. It covers uh, the fighting up to the end of September 19, 1863. Uh, Dave joins us tonight from the Chickamauga Battlefield, and we'll be back uh, to talk with him more in just a moment on Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN. 
or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at ecu dot edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. Talking today with Dave Powell, author of The Chickamauga Campaign, a three-volume set. The first volume is now available in 2015. It's called A Mad Irregular Battle from the Crossing of the Tennessee River through the second day, August 22nd to September 19th, 1863. Those who've looked at it, who've had the chance to uh, dive into it, will uh, agree that it's a, a fascinating and detailed look at this important battle that has not not been perhaps so widely covered as some others. Um, Dave, I was amused to note, as I, I no doubt you were amused to note, uh, the initial reviews coming in on Amazon are all positive five stars, uh, except one or two people who, who found the book had too much detail. They picked up a 700-page book that's only one volume on a battle, and then they thought it had too much detail. As as I feel your pain as an author reading, I, I found like that, that to be head scratching. I didn't really understand that. <laughs> I mean, you bought essentially what amounts to a doorstop of a book, and said, "Oh yeah, that's too much." <laughs> that's too much detail there. Well, you know, Dick and Jane visit Chickamauga would be suitable, but uh, it would be fewer well, pages. I, you know, I'm sure it's a case of of where. Someone perhaps didn't look closely, pre-ordered the book or ordered the book, you know, clicked. It's very easy on, on the web, right, to uh, see something True. and give in to an impulse and then regret it later. So perhaps it's something like that. <laughs> well, that that's a very charitable uh, analysis. We'll go with that. Um, the uh, Well, speaking of detail, the uh, <clears throat> another question that, that came in uh, was a was a specific detail question. Uh, I'll read it a while ago in his blog. Dave mentioned he had a tough time tracing the movements of the 7th Indiana Battery. Has he managed to find anything to satisfy himself as to their movements at the battle? Uh, I don't know if you have things cataloged mentally to that level uh, to where each battery and regiment was, 
but I've, I've yeah, got I, the book I open can answer on page. That and in some detail. <laughs> um, let's do I, my my uh, biggest problem with the Seventh Indiana Battery was as I discovered digging a little bit, it, it got split. Um, two sections of the Seventh Indiana, four guns, uh, went north to support their division. They belonged to uh, Horatio Van Cleve's division of the Twenty First Corps which uh, fought up in a place called Brotherton Field. Uh, one section of that battery, two guns, commanded by, I'm not quite sure who, that, that I haven't dealt, uh, you know, there's a, either a sergeant or one of the lieutenants. Mm-hmm. Uh, but those two guns uh, didn't make it to Brotherton Field. They ended up getting caught in, in perhaps the most confusing and bloodiest part of the battle on September 19th, uh, oh, a half or, or three quarters of a mile south of where their, the rest of their battery was in a place called Vineyard Field. Um, and they're there only a short time, uh, but there are clues from other officers from the chief of artillery in the Union, in the Union 21st Corps, uh, from uh, other battery commanders who briefly mention this sort of Phantom Indiana battery. So I think I've answered that question to to at least my satisfaction, uh, and and perhaps that's as far as anyone will ever go on it. I don't know. <laughs> well, we, we tracked down the the movements of the seventh seventh Indi- independent battery, Indiana Light Artillery. Now, it you you mentioned in the previous segment uh, collecting this vast amount of material, uh, primary source material. Uh, you know, letters, manuscripts, after-action reports, uh, the articles, the things that appeared said in the National Tribune or the, the Mollus or any of the other places where people write about the war in the years that follow. Uh, what about secondary sources? I, I, your introduction points out a surprisingly small number of books about Chickamauga has have appeared. Why do you suppose that is? Well... My first answer is that um, it's it's a difficult battle to untangle. It takes a great deal of study to to get it right. Um, there have been two major monographs on the battle before prior to mine. Um, there have been some uh, some other works and some different uh, pieces focusing on aspects of it. But the two monographs, the first was Glenn Tucker's book uh, uh, on Chickamauga, which appeared in 1961. And then uh, Peter Cousins' uh, This Terrible Sound, which appeared uh, in 1991 or 1992 with the University of Illinois Press. And both are still good books. They're fun to read. Um, uh, I've been told many times that, that uh, uh, Peter Cousins was, uh, you know, became the sort of definitive standard, and I, and I agree with that. I, I don't think uh, that... Uh, there's uh, anything wrong with his book. Uh, he and I disagree on some points, I, I would say, but but that's true, really, of any historian or, or writer, don't you think? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, but um, but beyond that, there really isn't. You know, if you look at battles, well, uh, Gettysburg's the obvious example, but even Antietam, or uh, look at Shiloh. There's you know we can we can pick half a dozen monographs. Uh, you know, more appearing all the time. Uh, Fredericksburg has several volumes on it. On it. Um, uh, Chickamauga is the, the second largest battle of the war. It's a very dramatic battle in that after a season, a summer of defeat on the Confederacy's part, 
suddenly they win this battle, and for a brief moment in time for the South, uh, there's this sort of revived flicker of hope um, that the the fortunes, the ill fortunes of eight, the summer of 63 can be reversed. That doesn't last, of course. Uh, we know from our position in history, we know that General Grant is coming and he will win the Battle of Chattanooga. But but it's a, it's such a dramatic battle and makes such a dramatic statement, and yet no one tackles it. And I think it's because uh, as, as you go through it, field by field, uh, position by position, you realize just how confusing this field is. Uh, it's a very fluid battle. There are many, many regiments on both sides who enter, enter battle, for instance, maybe they're facing north, and then they're attacked from the east or the west. And in some cases, there are, uh, there are regiments who fight in three of the four cardinal directions within uh, you know, two hours' time. Uh, so with the battle swirling uh, back and forth all around you all the time, it's very hard for the participants to keep things clear in their heads. And then, of course, uh, you know, it, for those of us who weren't there, uh, it's, it takes a great deal of patience to unravel. I, I know of one author, for instance, who, uh, who tackled it uh, and uh, just found it to be too involving a task uh, and ultimately converted what he had into a, an article. Now, there's some other life factors working for him there, too. But he told me, frankly, that, that it was just um, too much of an effort. Uh, uh, you know, he didn't have the time to devote to it properly, and that's, that's why he, he basically abandoned that project. And I think that's probably true for a lot of people. No, it is a, a daunting task, uh, obviously. Let me ask you, you mentioned the summer of 63 as a you know, time of Confederate defeat, obviously, with Gettysburg and Vicksburg. Uh, your book starts out talking a little bit about the summer of 1863 and, and sets the stage there. Uh, that also is a, a scene of defeat in in western Tennessee, or eastern Tennessee, rather. Uh, but nobody seems to know about it. Uh, well, it what? doesn't result in, in a climactic battle. Uh, and the reason I include discussion of uh, General Williams Stark Rosecrans's campaign, the Tullahoma campaign, in, in mm-hmm. June and early July of 1863, and I don't discuss it in, in great detail. I devote a mm-hmm. chapter to it, just enough to, to, I think, give the reader a chance to understand how that success, but lack of of uh, a lack of triumph, I guess, success without triumph, um, uh, influences General Rosecrans in future operations when he's operating against Chattanooga. Uh, the Tullahoma campaign is is regarded among most Civil War historians that I know as um, technically brilliant, executed flawlessly, but the Confederate Army gets away, and so. It doesn't culminate in a big battle. It culminates in um, uh, sort of a fizzle. Uh, General Longstreet, uh, I'm sorry, that comes later. Uh, General Rosecrans um, has to pause. He's chasing Confederate General Braxton Bragg, uh, but Bragg retreats to Chattanooga, and then General Rosecrans has to pause and rebuild his logistics. He has to bring up the uh, repair the railroad, repair bridges, et cetera, et cetera. 
he doesn't have um, the the seaborne logistics that say Grant or uh, the Union armies on the East Coast have. So uh, it it ends in sort of an unsatisfying pause. Certainly, it's unsatisfying for the federal government in in Washington, um, and uh, they express their dis- displeasure to General Rosecrans and on on. July 6th or 7th, shortly after both the news of Gettysburg and the news of Vicksburg have have, uh, have evaluated or, or reached the, uh, the the home front and electrified the, at least the northern part of the nation, um, General Rosecrans says, "Please, you know, wires uh, Washington wires uh, Secretary of War Stanton and says, please don't overlook this campaign because it was not written in letters of blood. It's that sense of frustration, that sense of of incompleteness that's going to uh, greatly affect what General Rosecrans is going to do in September. So he outmaneuvers Bragg, uh, chases him back uh, to Chattanooga and beyond, but doesn't corner him. There is no, there's neither a battle with showers of blood, as he points out, nor is there a successful capture like Fort Donaldson where, where you bag the whole enemy army. Uh, so, so Rosecrans still is trying to achieve something. Uh, your book, a- after outlining that, which I think is very effective, then spends uh, <clears throat> a good amount of time talking about the maneuvering just south of Chattanooga in the days before the battle. And here, uh, it's a good thing you have good maps. It is a... Uh, uh, the 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 back and forth uh, parrying and thrusting between the two armies uh, in this incredibly dense terrain uh, is you know, is a challenge for the historian and a challenge for the reader to follow. It's uh, it's it's sort of like an alien landscape when you know compared to uh, all of the histories we've read in the East. You know, and when an author mentions Tannytown, Maryland, or or uh, uh, Boonesboro, uh, uh, you know, we know where Culpeper, Virginia is. Uh, a lot of us, a lot of us as readers just sort of instinctively know that terrain. We've been over it a lot. Um, that's not true in North Georgia. Uh, if I tell you where Summertown is, or if I mention Summertown without telling you where it is, you're going to scratch your head and go, I have no idea. Uh, it's, uh, it's a, a fairly wild part of the state, uh, North Georgia is is only settled starting in the 1850s, uh, late 1840s, because prior to that, it's Cherokee land, and it's not part of the, the federal nation. It's not part of the United States. Uh, not until the Cherokee removal opens up the Georgia land lottery, and all of a sudden, uh, people move in, and the settlements start to appear. But it's very much a frontier, and it's very much, uh, to uh, to Civil War readers, it's I find that it's it's pretty alien, um, and and yes, it's very hard to follow because the moves are intricate. Rosecrans is ambitious; he spreads his outer army his army out across oh I don't know sixty seventy miles of frontage. Uh, General Bragg is falling back with the Army of Tennessee at the same time. Reinforcements are being pushed to him from. Uh, General Longstreet, who I mentioned earlier, from Virginia and also from Mississippi and other parts. Uh, so it's a very widely flung campaign, it covers a lot of ground, and it's ground that that people haven't seen a lot of maps on, haven't run across before. Um, 
uh, you know, if you drive through the little town of Resaca, Georgia today, uh, quite frankly, it doesn't look all that much different than, than it did in 1863. It's a few buildings and a crossroads. Well, another difference, uh, it seems to me, is most listeners have walked up Cemetery Hill at some point, or Little Round Top, and that takes you know a good five minutes of, of gentle inclined walking. Uh, but Lookout Mountain is more like a real mountain, yes. and then you've got these these coves. I, I guess valleys is, is maybe an eastern term that would be more recognizable. But they're not they're not broad fertile river valleys. Uh, it, well, it's a different kind of terrain. They're, they're relatively fertile. A cove. Mm-hmm. The only difference between a cove and a valley, mm-hmm. um, and, and this is a, a, a term that, that kind of runs up and down the Appalachians, I think. Um, a cove is a closed valley, uh, what we would call a box canyon out west. In other words, um, you know, you have two parallel mountains. The Shenandoah Valley has basically two parallel mountain chains and a wide valley in between. Mm-hmm. Um, if the mountains came to a point um, somewhere at the south end uh, of the Shenandoah, we'd call it, you know, it would be a cove. That's that's really the only difference. Um, but But it is remote piece of terrain the mountains are very forbidding uh and they're these long um uh well-defined ridges lookout mountain for instance uh begins just south of chattanooga where the tennessee river bends and it runs uh roughly a hundred miles all the way down into northern alabama it's uh it's 2100 2500 feet above sea level depending on where you are uh it's it's a considerable distance above uh, the 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 mean down at uh, down in the valleys, so you know, and, and it's abrupt. Uh, climbing it is very difficult for uh, for an infantry division, for instance, that reaches the foot of Lookout Mountain, say September ninth, uh, eighteen sixty three. It's going to be the better part of of a day, twenty twenty four hours before the whole division gets up the top of the mountain, gets its wagons and artillery up and is ready to cross. And then on top, these mountains are, are fairly flat, broad plateaus. Uh, think of maybe western buttes on an enormous scale. So you march across the plateau, and it's five or six miles, and then you get to the other side. And descending is just as bad as ascending. You have to, uh, you know, you have to strip down and double-team uh, double the horses on the wagons and artillery. You have to have the infantry regiments line the roads. Uh, and and uh, hold the drag ropes and everything. It's it's grueling and dangerous to both climb and descend these mountains. Well, it is a fascinating uh, part of the world and, and uh, uh, a, a dreadful place in which to fight. We'll talk more about this in a minute. We're going to take another short break. Our guest today is Dave Powell, author of The Chickamauga Campaign, A Mad Irregular Battle. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, and this is Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app. 
if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America Interactive Radio Player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's p-r-o-k-o-p-o-w-i-c-z-g at ecu dot edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich talking today with David A. Powell, author of The Chickamauga Campaign, A Mad Irregular Battle from the Crossing of the Tennessee River through the Second Day, August 22 to September 19, 1863. It's the first volume of a three-volume set. second volume is well underway, approaching completion, uh, that detail the Chickamauga Campaign and the battle. We've talked a little bit about the lead up to the battle, the campaign in the summer of 63, the maneuvering uh, south of uh, the town of Ch- Chickamauga, town of Chattanooga, yeah. and the, uh, uh, the the brutal terrain through which two armies uh, groped for one another and, and marched past one another and, and otherwise uh, struggled in the days leading up to the battle. Uh, Dave, in the introduction to this book, you mentioned that your interest uh, initially uh, came about doing research for a board game on the battle, and uh, a lot of our listeners who are familiar with uh, military simulations, uh, manual board games, not the computer ones, uh, are familiar with your work in that field. Uh, can you is Chickamauga a battle you can uh, simulate on the tabletop uh, effectively? Was it more of a challenge than other battles you've designed on? Yes, uh, yes, it is more of a challenge, uh, mainly because um, neither army commander had a really great grasp of what was happening, uh, and, and so when you when you take a uh, a player, you put him down in the commander's shoes. He, of course, has the the luxury of being able to see the board at a glance, see his troops and the uh, the other guy's troops, uh, all the little pieces, all the counters. Uh, he can look over his his paperwork and, and he knows uh, uh, you know the strength of his forces and and he can make educated guesses anyway at the uh, strength of his opponent's forces uh, and and of course uh, at Chickamauga um, 
the both army commanders had only a limited grasp of what was happening, especially on September 19th, which is fought mostly in the uh, the most heavily wooded part of the battlefield, uh, the terrain that lies east of the Lafayette Road. Uh, and also, um, there was a great deal of uncertainty, especially on the federal side, as to how many Confederate soldiers they faced. Uh, as I mentioned before, General Bragg is being reinforced. He's being reinforced from Mississippi, from uh, the coastal commands, from Atlanta, uh, and and most famously by uh, James Longstreet uh, and the uh, Confederate First Corps from the Army of Northern Virginia. So all of these troops add up to uh, a great deal of uncertainty. The the, uh, the Union intelligence reports, for instance, place Confederate estimates of strength from a low of 40,000 to a high of 150,000 men. <laughs> so that's a pretty wide range. <laughs> that really doesn't give you a lot, yeah. So, so trying to, uh, to give the players a sense of, of what's going on on the battlefield and at the same time uh, trying to sort of subtly tie their hands so that they can't use all of that accumulated knowledge of hindsight to, uh, to fight a very a historical battle is is pretty tough i'm and i'll be honest i'm not sure you know i tend to to lean more towards the side of giving the player a little more freedom rather than less because i figure that that people who pick up these games and they're pretty some of them can be very elaborate and very expensive uh invest a, a great deal of time in them and then to have a frustrating experience for all that time and money doesn't seem quite right so uh, uh, but uh, trying to uh, to accurately give the 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 player a, a little bit of a taste of what the commanders the the two opposing commanders are experiencing is is one of the challenges, and also it's a bit of the fun. Well, I, I wonder sometimes if it would be better off have uh, set up a map of the battle, use markers to represent the two armies, and then put the players in two different rooms of the house. And give them a uh, a simple line map that barely represents what's happening, and they just have to yell their instructions into the <laughs> next room. They never actually see the real battlefield or the real armies, and that might more closely represent Rosecrans uh, at the Widow Glen House trying to uh, figure out what the heck is going on at the front, uh, just a few hundred <laughs> yeah. yards away. Um, uh, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of truth to that. One of the things that's interesting, um, you know, occasionally very ambitious wargamers will uh, attempt to play these things in, in a process, a double-blind process, where uh, there's a, a referee and an umpire who actually play the game, but there are either other commanders, you know, one or even a team of players on each side who... Uh, have their own sort of uh, their own boards, but they're only allowed to you know put troops on the, on the map uh, based on those reports that the umpires give them. Uh, this is a very difficult process, but when you do that, uh, suddenly war gamers get very cautious because they're now they're in uncertain territory and they're they're getting a much uh, a much closer experience to a much more authentic experience, maybe, to what the commanders uh, themselves uh, underwent. Well, I'm, I'm a big proponent of, of use of simulations like that for, for teaching. I'm, I'm actually going up to Elizabeth City 
State University uh, this weekend for a game run by uh, Professor Mark Carnes out of Columbia. And, and it's, it's not a military game, but uh, uh, a simulation involving historical figures. And I'm going to mm-hmm. attend this workshop. And uh, I do think the kind of things you do with these designs really does help sometimes to understand uh, – you know what's going on at at these confusing battles. They may give us a false sense of uh, knowledge and control when you can just move a piece of cardboard, and that's ordering a division where you want it to go. Uh, in fact, and and we'll talk about this when you return with uh, volume two, when we talk about the orders that weren't followed on the twentieth on both sides. Uh, but what about on the nineteenth? Just uh, while while I we do have you here, uh, what kind of breakdowns in command and control? Uh, do you see uh, on, on the the second day of, of the battle, as you describe it, on September 19th? Well, you see the same pattern affecting both commanders. Mm-hmm. Um, they're reacting to circumstances. The battle develops uh, in, in a place called uh, uh, Jay's Mill um, on, the, on what's the north end of the modern Chickamauga Park. And it develops not according to uh, a plan... Um, devised by either commander. Instead, what happens is that uh, um, Union infantry and Confederate cavalry bump into each other unexpectedly uh, in a place that neither uh, neither commander really expects to find large forces of the enemy. And so the battle develops organically from there. And and so each commander, Braxton Bragg on the Confederate side, Brostrand on the Federal. They begin to take troops from their main battle lines, from their pre-positioned, uh, pre-planned uh, uh, setups, uh, and, and start to commit these people piecemeal, a division at a time. Bragg will pluck a division out of his battle line and send it north. Uh, and, and when he's doing this, and he does it repeatedly, of course, the course of the 19th, when he does this, he's not doing this because he's trying to, to win that fight uh, that developed, uh, you know, on his right flank, on the northern flank of the Confederate Army. All he's trying to do is stabilize that situation so then he can return his attention to the real plan. Uh, and Rosecrans is, is plugging holes. There's more Confederates appear. Rosecrans grabs the division as it marches up out of, out of one of those, you know, blind canyons, one of those coves. Mm-hmm. And, and he'll simply grab it and thrust it into the battle line. And they do this uh, irregardless uh, or regardless of command arrangements. Uh, they, they'll take divisions, uh, mix and match them between various corps. And so they're disrupting their own command structures for each army. Both sides are doing this. And, and so by the end of the battle on the second day, by the end of the fighting on the 19th, uh, the armies are both kind of a jumbled mess. Uh, you, you go down the, the line of, of divisions that are, you know, positioned and, and sometimes brigades and even regiments, and they don't normally fight with each other. They don't normally, uh, you know, the brigades are broken up, divisions are parceled out. And, and so it, it, they've created kind of a tangled mess, and, and uh, this, this makes for very difficult command control issues, and, and it will reoccur on the third day of the battle, September 20th, as as you'll see if you pick up the third, the second volume. So on the 19th, was there a, a reasonable chance? Uh, could 
forestmen have broken through the Union left flank on, on the 19th, or could another attack have succeeded? Uh, could this have been a, a shorter battle? It could very much have been a shorter battle. And not so much on that northern flank, but mm-hmm. um, Rosecrans, in, in, in committing his federal forces up and down the line, has uh, basically creates two groups of, of forces. They're not really core. Uh, one at the south end of the battlefield centered on uh, a place called Lean Gordon's Mill, and one at the north end of the battlefield centered on Jay's Mill and Kelly Field and, and that area. But in the center, for a, a mile and a half or so, uh, Rosecrans doesn't have any troops, or he has very few troops. Instead, what he's got is a, a giant hole in his line. And directly opposite that hole, just to the east of the Fayette Road, is where Bragg, uh, overnight on the 18th, uh, and beginning on the morning of the 19th, where Bragg intended to deliver his master stroke, where he accumulated 22,000 troops. Uh, he put them in line in the woods. He was expecting to attack a Union flank at Lee and Gordon's Mills. Had he simply ordered those troops forward at, say, 8 o'clock in the morning, uh, Rosecrans would have been in a huge amount of trouble. But instead of doing that, as I mentioned, he starts to piecemeal. He pulls people out of that massive uh, column of troops to send them north to stabilize that situation, all the time hoping he can return to his his main plan. But he never does. So an opportunity goes by, as again will happen uh, the following day repeatedly. Uh, with just a few moments left, uh, there are so many interesting things uh, here as I, I look through this. Um, tell us again about uh, this weekend's trip and uh, where you're going and, and uh, uh, where listeners can, can get in on the action next year if they want to do this. Well, um, listeners can even get on action this year because uh, the Saturday walking tours at the Chickamauga Battlefield um, are, are free and open to the public. So um, there's no pre-registration needed. But let me explain. Every year uh, in March, I and uh, uh, park historian Jim Ogden have been running a series, uh, a Friday bus tour, where we explore uh, some of the larger aspects of the campaign, where we run down into McLemore's Cove, for instance, or uh, look at the Union or Confederate troop movements to the battlefield. Uh, and then on Saturday, we do a couple of walking tours. And these are very focused. We, uh, we don't try and give you the whole battle. Uh, instead, we'll follow a brigade or division and talk about uh, what they did on September 19th or September 20th, etc. Uh, and uh, as I said, uh, the Friday bus tour requires some pre-registration, but the Saturday uh, tours are open um, they basically, if you show up at 8.30 on Saturday morning at the visitor center, you'll find a group of people, approximately 40 of us, standing around. Um, and uh, we will introduce ourselves and, and take the group out. And we do get uh, occasional walk-ons, you know, sometimes just visitors who are down for the day and had no idea. So um, my whole goal in, in doing these things is not to... Uh, not to make it a for-profit or a uh, uh, a money-raising issue or 
it's all about, to me, it's about building awareness and enjoying the park. I'm utterly fascinated by the Battle of Chickamauga, and uh, I've come to really love the park. It's one of our our great national park jewels. Well, I, I'm going to step in because we're running short on time. Absolutely, it is a, a park uh, people will love. If you're anywhere near uh, the Chickamauga Battlefield on this Saturday, that would be March uh, today's the 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th, March 7th, uh, 2015. Go to the Visitor Center, 8 in the morning, 8.30, visit and see Dave Powell. If you can't do that, get a copy of the Chickamauga Campaign, A Mad Irregular Battle, and uh, the two volumes that follow, and I know you will enjoy them. Dave, thanks so much for uh, taking time to call in from the battlefield and, and talk with us tonight. Well, thank you for having me, Terry. I really enjoyed it. And listeners, as always, thanks for listening to Civil War Talk Radio. Thank you for embarking on a part of American history this week. Civil War Talk Radio with Jerry Prokopovich can be heard live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.